Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good right. luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Delighted you could join us for today's Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Us, in this case, being just myself and Murph for the time being. Kieran, how are you? Hello there, all. Ken is in transit to Milan for the Champions League final. We will check in with him just as soon as he lands there. But forget all that for now, because right here in this studio, in just a few minutes, I'm a little nervous, Murph. In just a few minutes' time, we're going to have one of the biggest and most controversial names in the history of sport. For you young'uns out there, long before there was a Lance Armstrong... It was this guy. And it's a fair start. And it is Raymond Durr with a start. It is Ben Johnson with a start. Can Carl catch him? No. It's Ben Johnson. Ben Johnson does it again. Unbelievable. Nine, seven, nine. Absolutely incredible. What a start. Well, I was surprised because this time, I mean, Ben made a tremendous uh, you know, drop really in, in 24 hours because you know, he, he just wasn't the same person Friday as he was Saturday. And it was just, that race was shocking. Um, I just don't know how he does it or whether he, he, he gets a hypnotist or something, but he does something to um, stimulate him in the final. You know, uh, there are many that will say that this Olympic flame is diminishing today. I think it's never burned brighter unless it was 1972 when the Olympic movement was threatened by murder and terrorism. I think the only way forward is that good should never give way to evil. And this is evil that's being exposed. And I think they were right to expose it. Okay, uh, possibly a touch OTT there from that BBC reporter. Apparently loosely comparing Ben Johnson's positive test with the terrorist attacks on the Munich Olympics. But such is the level of shock and outrage when this news broke. Maybe Carl Lewis not too shocked, judging by his post-race interview there. Mm. Murph, using the word hypnotist, stimulate was in there. Extraterrestrial yeah. might not have existed at that stage, but if but it did... That was the 1988 version of uh, yeah, extraterrestrial extra- performance. It's amazing. Up until that moment, my childhood watching sport was pretty idyllic, I'm going to say. Euro 88 earlier that summer. Stephen Roach winning the Tour de France the previous year, which seemed totally uncomplicated mm. at that time. All was rosy until this Ben Johnson scandal in Seoul and this, this was impossible like, for a kid to comprehend but most adults who'd followed sport for a long time I think struggle to comprehend how could somebody cheat like this I mean he's, he's 
pure evil, as the uh, BBC yeah. man says. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, when you when you look back now at the Olympic records set in 1972 and 1976 and 1980 and 1984, Ben Johnson is less the start of something as uh, and more in your head the natural conclusion of what went on in the you know 16 years before that or even 20 years before that uh but he he very quickly became a lightning rod for everything that happened everything bad that happened in sport uh in a way that you couldn't say the the entire country the entire state of east germany got off lighter than ben johnson <laughs> yeah it's, it's uh you know it's it's it, it's state run doping that put people's lives in danger uh, got away scot-free in comparison to the, the you know, this, just the public humiliation of Ben Johnson and the, you know, I mean, this is why it's so interesting to talk to him, to talk about, you know, how do you go about rehabilitating yourself, rehabilitating your name in light of, of 25 years, 28 years of vilification for doing something that was less a shock and more more the rule than the exception uh, oh, yeah. as we subsequently found out albeit publicly at the time it, people th- you mentioned the East Germans but there was a thought that oh yeah that's fine but Americans Canadians Western Europeans you know mm. they wouldn't be up to any of that kind of stuff as it turns out most of Johnson's competitors in that race were juiced up in their careers countless sports people since then have been disgraced you mentioned state-sponsored doping in East Germany I mean that's still going on now as we've seen recently in Russia. But yeah, still 28 years after so, when you think of the most infamous dopers in sport, only Lance really stands alongside Ben Johnson. Johnson will be remembered another 40 years when, I don't know if people, that many people will be talking about the madness going on in Russia, for example, Mm. or around the IAAF at the moment. So we will talk to him about why that is. Some of what you talked about there, trying to restore his legacy, not even his legacy, just live a normal life after that, but also why he doped in the first place. You know, you're talking to a guy who's a self-confessed um, drug user, a performance as a drug user here, and has talked openly about it. So be interested in the kind of method, whether he thought he was actually cheating. Lance Armstrong never seemed to think he was cheating. He's just doing what he had to do. So we'll talk about that and the current issues around Rio 2016. I think Usain Bolt might come up. I want to ask, I think people will be interested to in know what Ben Johnson thinks about Usain Bolt. So anyway, Ben Johnson in studio very shortly, and we're pretty excited. We're also going to check in with Eddie Bulger in Astana, coach of Ireland's newest boxing superstar, Kelly Harrington. This is the Dublin fighter who today became just the fifth Irish person, male or female, to make a world senior final with a ridiculously impressive semi-final win against her Canadian opponent, Sarah Caddy. She was absolutely superb. Switch hitter, quick hands, quick feet, a little cocky in the ring in the best possible way, you know, drops, drops the guard at times. Just super confident for somebody who's only been in the... Uh, perform- high performance unit for a very short amount of time so we'll get to that later that's all after I deliver some hot hot news about this Torres scores they given only to David Silva David Silva scores I don't think they're going to catch Fernando Torres can he beat given yes he can it's 3-0 that's 4 so I think the players and even the supporters they all have to change their mentality Что ей очень нужно, Шейн Лонг. Да, Ирландия! 
Lawrence in the mess. John Lawrence going for the high ball. Trying to knock it down for Hell's Dana. Goal! And they've scored! <laughs> Ray Houghton! We're a small country and listen, we're up against it, but let's not just go along for the sing song every now and again. Yeah, I hope that gets you pumped because you'll be hearing a lot of it during our daily shows during Euro 2016. That's daily shows, Monday to Friday with Ken and France, and our coverage of the tournament begins properly this Monday in Cork City with our latest live sports night with our sponsors Rabo Direct we've yet to travel to Cork as second Captain's Murph one of mm. the cities with our biggest podcast listenership um, we were there years ago in an earlier guys and as well as the wonderful people we encountered the fried chicken is what got mm. you excited I know I know and I, it, the first thing I thought of was uh, <laughs> maybe not the first thing. I mean, I've, I my, ah, my first Cork. thought was for the listeners. You know, <laughs> yeah. my first thought always for the listeners. Yeah, you're a people person. Uh, you're also a yeah. fried chicken person. But sure. that, that is also true. You know, there there uh, you know many shades to a man, and uh, I haven't had fried chicken in a while. And I do recall the fried chicken being exceptional. So I asked what the name of the place was, and uh, a flurry of replies came back to tell me that the Hillbillies franchise has taken over. There's one in Fairview. There's one in Walkinstown yeah, here in it, Dublin. It was Hillbillies. I remember it now. There was, there was, there's one even open in Galway mm-hmm. that I was completely unaware of, um, which kind of took the gloss off it for me. I mean, I, I was expecting to go back to you know like a Cork only experience. I mean, I, it, I'm kind of gone cold on the whole idea now, to be honest. But I mean, <laughs> either way, on I, I, listen, if you want me to eat some fried chicken so we can talk about it on the following podcast on Thursday then I suppose I could do that kind of embarrassing when people are walking by at sort of one in the morning on mm. the Monday after you've been totally professional earlier on mm. good show lads well thanks <laughs> just sitting on a park bench <laughs> sure, yeah. Sure, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm not a pretty good. scene the show will take place okay. at the beautiful Crane Lane Theatre on Phoenix Street in Cork at 7pm so once again this is next Monday this Monday coming uh, what's the date on that? May 30th. May 30th, yeah, just in case you're listening to this later than May 30th. Monday, May 30th, 7pm. If you want tickets, go to irishtimes.com forward slash secondcaptains or secondcaptains.com or you can follow us on Twitter at secondcaptains and you'll find the details. We did mention this online yesterday and we've got a huge amount of entries already. So uh, glad to hear the people in Cork haven't forgotten us, Murph, and get onto any of those, any of those media mm. to get your hands some tickets. Right now, joining us in studio... Ben Johnson, welcome to Dublin. Thank you very much. You're here for an event called the Crossing the Line Summit, which deals with uh, athletes retiring with mental health issues, both uh, on retirement and during their careers. But just on that idea of actually being an ex-athlete, do you, do you ever let go of the idea that you're a top sports person? You know, you'll be watching Usain Bolt, I'm sure, this summer in the Olympics. Are you, are you looking at it with a little bit of competitiveness, thinking what you could, what you could do if you were still out there? You can never let go from this type of, you know, sport because this is what you love. This is the passion that you care for. And now you retire and you see all these people running and in, in the limelight. But still, you know, time goes on and uh, fair is fair. And uh, even now, I believe that I will still want to be in the spotlight because it's it's mental. It's it's, it's kind of tough, you know, to, to see that you're not there anymore. But um, in... In the heart of a lot of people and fans, that they remind you that you are, you know, one of the best sprinter. But nevertheless, it's hard to deal with sometimes. Do you, do you like being recognised still? I hear you've been mobbed on the streets around Dublin. 
Well, it's always nice to be recognized, you know, is when people doesn't remember you. That's what you have to worry about. But it's all good, you know. It's uh, You have to be thankful that the people remember remember you and what you did. And, and when you meet people, you can see the love in their eyes and the passion about it and to meet them. And pe- people have different stories about everything, so it's nice. Do you get nostalgic yourself? Do you watch the old races very often? I read some of my whole races or races on TV or in on YouTube, yes, I, I still watch one of the races, yes. When was the last time you watched Seoul? Well, I was on YouTube just about even a week ago watching <laughs> some of my whole races, you know. <laughs> it's just fun to see what you have I've done over the years and sit back and look at it and on it, video. Is it fun? Uh, when you're watching that race, do you see it now? Obviously, it's been described as the dirtiest race in history. It's also been described as the greatest race in history. When you watched it last week, what race were you seeing? Well, people have different comments about everything. You know, you can't really upset what people say. People have their own mind of things. So I think it's the greatest race ever run, regardless of what happened, because most of those people was in, in that field was using performance and drugs. Yeah, so. I think six of the eight have been complicit in one way or another. But I, that's why, I guess, it's uh, given the title of that book, even Richard Moore's the, the Dirtiest Race in History. You still see it as the greatest? Yes, I think so, yeah. Uh, despite the fact that there's... Been, been, there were so much drugs involved. Despite the facts there is, yeah. Uh, we'll get back to a little bit of that, but did, did people, you went back to Seoul for the 25th anniversary a few years ago? Yes. As a, an anti-doping campaigner. Yeah. Why did you decide to do that? I believe that in my first time doing track and field, like I said, the passion and the love of athlete sports and I love running and been involved in for um, 35 years and, and to be want to be Olympian over the years and I trained myself to, to reach that goal and that dynasty in my career and I felt that during my youth running I think that all the people that was running was was clean I didn't know that they were judging sports I didn't know that these things existed as, as a young child uh, 14, 15 years old and um, by learning the sports and learning more about what people are saying and and run against sprinters that that I started to worry about that these people are also using drugs. And I said, wow, you know. And I'm here as a youngster, like 19, 20 years old, you know. And and I say, I didn't really care. I just try to do the best I can. And as I get better and better in my career, and then my coach say, you know, you know, this guy's pretty good. Maybe I have to do something. And then things started to change. Words started to exchange. And that's where I get involved in it. So you feel like... Young athletes now should have the chance that you don't think you had. That young athletes should be able to compete clean. I I believe that all athletes should be compete clean. That is never the sports, and that's what this is all about. Now is about back in my day. It was about um, athletes that love the sports of track and field and all other events uh, to travel and meet people. Now is about money and running fast. Yeah. Did you find people were receptive to your message, to the anti-doping message? Because I think somebody like you has a lot to offer in that regard. You've been there, you've, you've literally done it and you've seen everything. But yet, there's still the idea that some people would have, well, that guy cheated, so why should we listen to him about anti-doping? Did you get a sense of any hostility or were people kind of quite welcoming to your anti-doping message? I was kind of surprised that uh, the petition that what we signed and laid out on the track, I thought we'd have more more uh, people on board to, to support. But um, I I think people want to see, you know, fast time, fast results. 
they care what's going on. They know what's going on in the sports of doping, and they just want to be entertained. And I'm just uh, surprised that we only have maybe about 15,000 uh, petitions signed during that campaign for uh, five weeks or so. But um, nevertheless, you know, uh, we just move on and just keep speaking the truth because I'm a, I believe in God and I believe in fairness. In water. And as a young child, I was I was turned the wrong way, and um, that's the way I believe. Was it helpful for you to go back to Seoul to deal with that part of your life? No, no. I'm much older, and you know, I'm stronger mentally, and you know. But going back, I just said that this is where issue was made, and this is where my life changes forever. So you, I'm right in saying you suffered from depression after, or possibly even before. The, the Olympic Games, you've suffered from it through your life? Well, since my mom passed, yeah, I have depression and anxiety. And if I want to have depression or anxiety, it's up to me because I can control it, my mind and my my conscious mind. So if I think about the past, I think about the future, hasn't come yet, it's up to me to control that. So um, sometimes I do have it. You know, sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night, can't sleep. Feel like I'm gonna get a heart attack. <laughs> so that, I, that's still to, to this day. That's still the case. Sometimes when I think about the past or or the future and stuff like that, it's it's like that sometimes. So do you attribute attribute any of that to what happened to the fallout from the scandal in in Korea? No, no. I I believe it might do have something to it. Maybe like ten percent. But you know, when you lose a mother and and don't have a father, it's 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 very tough and. And you only have just your sisters and brothers around, and yeah. now you have to now you have to provide for yourself. There is no one who's going to provide for you, so it gets very tough. But I saw, you did an interview around that time of going back to Seoul in 2013. You said, "25 years later, I'm still being punished for something I did." There's people who murder and rape people, go to jail and get out. I just break the rules in sport, and I've been nailed to the cross. How have you been punished? Do you think in the 25 now, 28, 29 years since? Well, it's, um, you know, uh, I believe that I could make a living by doing a lot of things in, in sports. I have lots of knowledge in sports as far as uh, sprinting and biomechanics or get athletes from here to the next level by the elements of the training that I knew and my attention and brought to my coach and also my previous coach that coached my coach, which... Professor Duncan, who was uh, 1935, 1936, didn't go to the Berlin Olympics because of uh, penicillitis, but uh, he's the one who coached my coach, Charlie Francis. Mm. So this this person have a lot of knowledge in preparation and, and sprinting elements, and I, I I learned a lot from him, and I heard a, a, a lot from Charlie, and also from myself, my own experience. So... Uh, the IRC doesn't want me to be a part of of the of uh, track and field because they say that um, athletes who banned for life cannot associate with athletes nowadays. Which is that I wasn't banned from coaching or banned from from athletes. So these guys break the rules as they go along, and and as they go along, they come to different rules just to eliminate you from uh, moving forward in life. So. I just I just didn't care about it. I just do my own thing because my dad's always say there's a million ways to make a living. So you have this world. have you, you you have have you fought that? Have you gone to the IOC and to the petition to be allowed to coach? No, you you, you can't fight these guys. These guys are too powerful. Know, 
not say powerful. You know, if you <laughs> if you doesn't watch track and field or watch sports, you don't know who this person are. Every time this person comes up in this world is when they have the unpit bid, they know, oh, this is a new vice president of the IRC. <laughs> These people doesn't have no no one knows these people, so to speak. So they're they're trying to become powerful. Uh the, the Olympic movement is for mankind. But now it's all about making money and sponsors. And this guy's making like four four billion dollars a year. You know? Yeah. So you you've made your living in strange ways over the years, is that fair to say? You've been to Japan on well, a lot of game shows, you've been to, to Libya to, is that true to train Gaddafi's son in football? Oh yeah, I train uh, you know, Saudi uh soccer I train NHL athletes in Toronto, um, ice hockey. I train uh, f- young football players who are going for second, third division in Europe. Um, I train um, Maradona and those type of people. But uh, I didn't want to uh, spend my life training and um, and doing other things. But uh, I get away from the training, and then I'm always getting back into it because people ask me, Right. I want you to train my son and train my daughter and blah, blah. So I said, well, if this is my destiny, might, might as well go back and just do what I know. How did you end up in Libya training Gaddafi's son? Well, after I trained Maradona in 1997 as we as Baka Jr., um, he went to Libya, invited by the, the son, and then they were talking about training and who's the coach, and he mentioned my name, and he said, oh, Ben Johnson. Then he looked me up on the Facebook, and <laughs> I was contacted, and I went to Libya. Right. For how long? Um, about three and a half years, off and on. How was that experience? What was it like working for those people? I mean, it's, it's great. You know, uh, the media the media put things in different perspective about who they are and what, they, what it stands for. But from what I see from my own self and my experience, they are good people. And, and uh, based on what happened in the world of all different things that politician and and all this thing what's going on in the world i'm not there for that i'm just here to do you know exchange my knowledge and get the guy in good shape and stuff like that was he in good shape was he a good footballer it was good yeah. <laughs> you're was laughing it was good it was good <laughs> you can tell us i don't know no sometimes he uses football <clears throat> just to get out of live just to get out of libya you know uh, <laughs> all right okay to to live a different sort of different lifestyle li- maybe lifestyle, yeah. in, in other countries i yeah. think i see where you're going with that yeah. ben mm-hmm. Uh, there are literally thousands, have been thousands of drug cheats, have been so many massive big names. Why do you think it is that, well, maybe up until Lance Armstrong, uh, you remained and, and remained this, this big name. It was so long ago now, and yet when people talk about doping in sport, you're one of the names that still comes up. Do you have any idea why that is? Maybe they'd love to call my name. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe because you're, fir- you're the first to be, I don't know, uh, the... Do you did, did you understand the magnitude of it at the time when when you were caught? Um, no, I I just said that you know that the only way they can beat me is in the doping room, and that's my mom's always right, and and it happened. So I just look in that as a as a learning lesson and and uh, as a, a great tool that they couldn't beat me on the track, so they would beat me somewhere else. So that's where I look at it. Lance, Positive. yeah, Lance Armstrong never really saw himself as cheating. You know, he, at the time he said, I was just doing what everyone else was doing because you had to do it. Is that what, you're, what you would say as well? Well, sorry, I should phrase that more clearly maybe. Did you feel you were cheating at the time? 
I felt that at the time when it was brought to my attention was was not cheating, but the training the training regiment that I was under was very, very tough. It was like six days a week, five hours a day for 12 years. So your body needs to recover from re- tremendous training. So I said maybe 10% that the drugs might work, and the rest is mentally and how hard you train and how... Oh, uh, you will pursue your, uh, your your career of training properly and not overtrain, but not on a train, but um, do the right thing. So you felt all this is doing is allowing me to recover so that I can train. I'm still putting in more work than everybody else, uh, and therefore you, you didn't have an ethical problem with it. No, me. Um, if you look on the races, you know, Carlos and I was running the same split. Mm. But the race is won from the start, you know, from the gun goes, I jump out of the blocks, and then that was it. So for him to measure up that margin, he has to be greater than me to pass me and to, he couldn't do that. So that was the, that was the key of my race, my start. But if you take us right back to 1981, there must have been, when, when your coach first brought up the idea and said, look, Ben, this is what they're all doing, you're going to have to do About it. About 83. 83, About my 83. apologies. Did you just jump at it, or did you spend a few days? Or a few I spent about maybe two weeks before I said yes. So you did that. You were mulling it over whether it was the right thing to do. Yeah. What what swung it for you eventually? Why did you decide? No, I'm going to do it now. Well, I decided that um, if I'm doing it clean and these people are dirty, uh, cheating, then might as well join the group. And it was as simple as that. Just simple as that. Can you remember the first time you took steroids or took any drugs? I remember the same time, yeah. Do you remember how you felt immediately afterwards? I didn't feel any differently. Nothing? No, it's all mental. How, how do you mean it's all mental? Well, if you think that the drugs will work mentally and it, it doesn't work, then it, the mind is very strong, so the mind will play a lot of tricks on your conscious mind, so it depends on how the body, how you think about it and how, you, how your body react to it. So if you if you take something that you think that is going to work or it's not going to work. It's, it's not going to work because your mind will, will just trigger all the hormones in the body to change direction. So you didn't feel like you'd crossed some sort of line when you had done it, even mentally? You didn't think, I'm on a certain path now that I, that I wasn't on before? No, I just, I just believed that um, what, what I was doing was just to recover from tremendous training and, and uh, I feel better in a recovering fast so I can train harder and the more harder you train and the more fast you recovery is is much better shape you're going to be. Your relationship with Charlie Francis, your coach, it's, it was very interesting in that, as you say, he was the one who advised you to do it and he says that himself. That all came out in the inquiry, the Duban inquiry after Seoul. And yet you remain very close. Is that fair to say? Yeah, we're still close. Even I couldn't speak with him, but we still talk. And uh, the... the when he passed away, I was right, right beside his bed when he passed away. So uh, he, here's a man, you know, decide to do what he needs to do and also believe that what he was doing was right. And he speak to the authorities that uh, these people are taking drugs and what, what you can do about it and nobody listened. Mm. And uh, you have, you know, he didn't have a choice. Yeah, I, mean, I, I mean, what choice did he have? Yeah. So you didn't blame him as such? The for, for doing the drugs you took because it was this idea at the time if that I, you were you were if you were, I hurt any anyone in this lifetime or this era, I hurt myself. Nobody else. 
Because it was the because NIT at the I didn't time. use the drugs to hurt anybody or to do anything rationally outside of it. I just used it for training, for sports. That's it. There was an idea that you were easily led by Charlie Francis, that he made the decisions and you just went along with it. Well, you know, the, the guy didn't put, put a gun up my head and say, hey, Ben, you know, you got to take this or I'm going to shoot you. Yeah. You know, so it was my choice. Uh, I didn't thought, I didn't tell it to my mother. I just decided to do it on my own and just do it. Had athletics been... And had he given you a chance to feel confident about yourself for maybe the first time since you came to Canada? You arrived over from Jamaica at 14, 15 years 14. of age. And I mean, it's fair to say you didn't fit in immediately in Canada, in school. No. It was quite tough. Quite tough. Uh, was, was athletics your way to feel... I mean, everybody needs something to, that they're good at or that they feel that they can do better than others. Was that athletic, athletics for you? I didn't know that I wouldn't choose athletics. I know I was pre- pretty fast, but my main, my main love was soccer. I was very good in soccer player. Striker? Striker. I, a I, lot I of goals. I can kick the ball from the, from the sidekick into the net. That's what's good I was. Really? So, yeah. And, and, and you had pace as well, obviously. So you could, was good, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, when, so you played soccer and then you just stumbled into the athle- athletics? I played soccer, go to track with a sprint ankle all the time. And my coach asked me, so what happened? You know, sprint ankle again, playing soccer, <laughs> right? And then I said, okay, no more. And that was about 1980. I quit because I, we had the World, World, the World Junior Championship in Sudbury, Ontario, where I first met Carl Lewis. Yeah. And I spread my ankle for, and then I couldn't train for probably for about six to eight weeks. And I finished second to last in the race because I couldn't train on a sprint ankle. So from that day, I say <laughs> no more soccer. <laughs> Do you miss soccer? I miss soccer, yeah. It's yeah. the best sport in the world. Did you get to a point where, I read in Richard Moore's book, I think it was, that you actually stood up to one of your bullies in school by challenging to a race? Yeah, you know, these guys in the race, uh, in school, push me around, you know, they call me all kind of names, niggers, go back to Canada, go back to Jamaica, we don't want you here, you know, all kind of stuff. So I missed a lot of school because of that, and my grades was getting very, very bad, and couldn't go to class, and couldn't eat my lunch properly, and I challenged to a race and say, if I beat you, leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> so, so usually it's, it's a, it ends up in a fist fight or something like that. But you said, no, no, I, I, know, I know my strengths. Yeah. Uh, didn't, were many people watching the race? Yeah. School teachers came out. Some of his friends come around watch the race. Yeah. I think we know the results, do we? Yeah. We can guess the result. Guess the result. Uh, a comfortable victory for <laughs> Ben Johnson there. Are you, when you look at, you mentioned uh, your coach, Charlie Francis, spilling the beans on what was going on in athletics back in the late 80s and into the 90s, which he did. I mean, that, that inquiry in Canada was quite, there was quite a lot of honesty in it and it seemed like everybody was ready to just start talking then. The Dublin inquiry was telling me to protect the government themselves. Right, okay. Yeah, it was not for, for, for the athletes. How do, you, how do you mean protect the government themselves? Well, the, the Federation know that we were taking drugs. Right, and they know that you know a lot of money was being made, and it was making a lot of money. Okay, based on my performance and my um, contracts that was coming in, and they are using my money to pay for their salary and invest my money, and then use my money. And, you know, these people are mafia. So they want. <laughs> you know, to, so the terrible. Yeah, the athletes are left to hang, hang out dry. I mean, are you surprised that this is? 
what are we at now, 2016, that these scandals are actually worse. I mean, we're, we seem to be at, a, at an even worse point than we were in 1988. It's worse now because most of the athletes now doesn't understand what's going on. Uh, they understand about, okay, I want to make the Olympic Games. I want to do the best I can and I want to make the team. But they don't look on the other part of the corruption behind it. It's really bad, really dirty. So they are just a bit naive. They're out running their races. Very naive. Even the ones who, both the ones who are doing drugs and, and the ones and, who aren't. And and where I'm talking, the one aren't or the one they are. I mean, I mean, you can't expect an athlete to train for ten years, twelve years of their life and not earn a living in in sports. And then all the the corporation and all the, the government bodies make a lot of money. This this is not right. So what do you do? You quit, or or you play the game. Yeah, or you, well, if you're the authorities, you can kick countries out. I mean, would you, Russia, are, are, there's talk that they'll be, well, they are suspended at the moment. Would you like to see Russia banned from the Olympics? Russia has been doing this for years. They've been doing it from since, you know, God knows how long, since 76 Olympic Games in Montreal. If you look on the, in the river, you see catch River, you got a lot of syringes, a lot of needles, a lot of, they, they bring a ship. that anchor right in the arbor, and all the athletes <laughs> go there. And really? Take, oh, man, it's terrible. <laughs> It's terrible. Yeah. Look on the internet, you'll see it. I shouldn't laugh. It just seems just so outlandish. It's crazy. Sh- ships full so, of, I didn't realize that. So when at least, you know, <clears throat> test positive, I don't point fingers because I know what the game is. I know what they're doing. I know what's going on. But the only way I take side is is when somebody point finger at me, then I... But then athletes, I, surely athletes have, as you did, have, have a decision to make themselves just because there's pressure from governments and because other people are making money from them. They're the ones who are allowing the needle to go into their arm. Well, they... The athletes put a lot of pressure on themselves too because they don't have education to go to school. They have, don't have no degree. They put their whole life and trust in the in the athletics. So there's no guarantee they're going to make it or not. But the ones who make it have to at least make some money and say, okay, I make a couple million dollars. Now I can do something with my life and pay myself back to school and I can get an education. And if you test positive and then, and then you lose everything, that you ever work for a dream for, then you have to start to backtrack quickly and say, where do I go from here? What do I do to make a living? You know, where do I go? Uh, you know, uh, you know, depression kicks in. They start to think about uh, you can't find a job or you cannot go anywhere to to make a living. Uh, you know, you, 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 you don't want to get married because someone doesn't believe in you because you lie, because you cheat. You know, all those things that goes on. And it's not fair because when at least test positive, I mean... There's no rehabilitation for these athletes. I mean, where they go to get re- re- rehabilitated? They're just outcasts. They're just outcasts. Right they just yeah, live yeah. alone and say, or join in the bus and live alone. And then all the government bodies and all the people, you know, who's making the big money, they go into the big mansion and driving expensive cars and clothes and, and the other things that I don't want to say, but, <sighs> you know. But that's the way life is and that's the way people are, you know, so... So when people say, when you hear everybody's doping, would you believe that everybody's doping? At the I don't believe everybody, but at least most of the athletes on the professional level, yes. When you see, for example, the World Championships last year, there was this dynamic between Justin Gatlin and Usain Bolt, and it was this good versus evil. Yeah, that's a good question, because Justin Gatlin tested it twice. Yeah then this guy should ban for life, right? So you're wondering why he's still there? <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't matter to me because I'm moving with my life. I live my I love my life now. I'm I'm doing very well, you know. 
um, I enjoy myself, and that's that's number one for me. Enjoy my life, and that's it. Gatlin, the idea here was that Usain Bolt was going to save athletics by winning against the evil Justin Gatlin. Is it as simple as that? Is it as simple as saying Gatlin is evil because he has been caught doping, and Usain Bolt is good because we assume he doesn't dope because there's been there's been no positives or anything like that. Is that too simplistic the way that's presented? Well, the the the, the media will try to put it the best way they can. Evil, evil, evil against good. So, uh, I I believe that if Gatlin did beat Bolt in that race last year, it'll say well because he used drugs, you know, to, to beat Bolt. So, either way you slice the cake, um, he was right beside Bolt. Nevertheless, he didn't win, but he didn't win. So, do you believe in Bolt? In what? Do you believe that he's clean? That I can't say. You can't. Only only time will tell. That's all you're only time will willing tell. to say on that. You said there you're you're happy now. You found happiness, so you can be comfortable with what's happening. Now. How have you found happiness in more recent times? Just enjoy my life. That's number one. Enjoy my life. Be healthy, and every day I wake up is is a miracle. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> Richard Moore in the book uh, in, in the book that I mentioned earlier says when it comes to discussing he, he got the sense this is about five years ago that you were you, you seemed happier than you had been maybe previously but he says when it comes to discussing his relationship with Carl Lewis Johnson doesn't seem to have found peace of mind in some respects he's still in the clutches of that old rivalry and that was about five years ago he interviewed you then would that comment still be accurate? I still feel the same way yeah. about Carl Lewis yeah, he's a dirty as they come and you can't let that go? I could let it go but if it comes up and talk about it, then I, I talk about it. <laughs> are, you, are, you concerned? <laughs> are you concerned though? Right, you, there was a documentary on Joe Frazier a few years back and I think it was his brother played for the interviewer. He played Joe Frazier's answering machine, his, his, his telephone answering machine. And on it, I can't remember the exact words, but essentially it was along the lines of, how, he was talking about how great shape he was in and then he said, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, look at what Ali's like now, I, you know, I, I did that to him. So it was along those lines, you know, this, this sort of real a venomous thing about Ali, which the point being made was that Frazier took this uh, bitterness that they had in their sporting careers way too late into his life and it consumed him a little bit. You're not, you're not, you're not concerned that you're doing that, that it would be healthier just to, just to let go of any antipathy I, towards Carlos. I believe that between... Joe Fraser and Muhammad Ali, I mean, each didn't like each other over the years of boxing in their career. Uh, to me, with Carl Lewis, uh, I mean, sometimes I let go and sometimes it's just hard for me to say, okay, this is what happened, this is what he did. Uh, he, he get away with it because he's American, uh, he protected, and, um, you know, money is not everything. Money comes and goes. And um, in the end, we have to uh, live the right way and, and knowingly, knowingly in his own mind, his own conscious mind, that I kick his ass. <laughs> and, and that's final. If Fair he, and square. Yeah. If he walked in here now, if Carlos walked through that door and the rest of us left and you were told, the two of you have to sit down for half an hour, 30 minutes, what would you, what would you say to him? What would you talk about? I always said to him, well, it's been a great arrival between us, but either good or bad, I'll still beat you. Either way. 
Well, listen, Ben Johnson, it's been fascinating talking to you. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time coming into us today and I'm sure people look forward to hearing from you on Saturday. Thanks a million. Thank you. All right, brilliant stuff. And just for a little bit more detail on what exactly is happening on Saturday, former world champ and four-time Olympian Geroud Toey has been sitting here listening patiently. Geroud, you're the founder of Crossing the Line Sport. Can you fill us in a little bit on the event? So um, I actually started up Crossing the Line last year, which is basically, it's like an information sharing platform for athletes in transition. So um, lots of athletes, when they retire, feel like they're on their own. I feel they can't reach out for help. And so Crossing the Line is sort of like the online uh, version um, where we um, have like a helpline. We have a place where athletes can share their stories. We have podcasts. We have videos, all that kind of stuff, um, so that athletes don't feel alone uh, when they're struggling. Um, so the online version is that, and then we have um, the summit, which is basically the live version. Okay. So and we got these guys over to uh, speak with us, um, two two of the big legends of, of the 1988 sorry 1988 Olympics. And um, yeah, Greg, Greg Luganis is the other one, and Ben. That's right. Yeah. So I mean, it's here. amazing because the 1980 Olympics, the kind of first Olympics that I kind of remember, and um, the one that kind of piqued my interest and said that I want to be an Olympian. And these two boys are the most famous ones at that Olympics. So, so it's like amazing to have them here sharing kind of two polar opposite stories, like of their transition. So it's fantastic, you know. So is it aimed at sports people, particularly active sports people now, close to retirement, any, anyone with an interest in this, in the area of mental health? Yeah, like, I mean, for all athletes, really, like of all stages of the careers, because like um, the thing about us is that we also deliver education as well. So we want athletes to start a transition as soon as they enter the field of play. So like a transition starts at the very beginning. So all athletes um, should should already listen to this. Coaches should listen to this as well because coaches are so important in the athlete kind of structure that um, they need to hear this information as well. Yeah, it's probably a tough enough message to get across to people at the start of their careers, you know, that they, this is something they have to think about. I guess that that's that's something that maybe they don't necessarily, it takes a while for people to engage with. Absolutely. Like in Look, there's ways of doing it, like so we can actually um, get athletes to think about this stuff kind of subconsciously, so we can get them to be more mindful, be more self-aware, so that when they leave, they're not just uh, machines who are just kind of um, expired at the end. Looking, they're actually looking human beings who are the same as everyone else, you know. Yeah, and uh, can people still get tickets? They can get um, get tickets on CrossingTheLineSummit.com. So there's plenty of tickets left. So please come along and Great stuff. hear these boys. Yeah, sounds brilliant. Girl, well yeah. done. Thanks a million. Cheers. Thank you. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Richie Sadler's here. Richie, how are you? How are you, lads? How are you, lads? Richie, how are you, lads? How are you doing this week? I'm marvellous. Look at the joy on my face. Look how happy I was. What the fuck happened? <laughs> no, really. You know, what happened? When John was young, everyone in the city knew about him, but no one had seen him. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's persuaded of the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. Oh, right, Murph, that was Ben Johnson sitting in that chair right beside us. <laughs> Slightly surreal. There are certain sports people you interview over the years, you're in the middle of it and you're thinking, that's, that is Ben Johnson, right? Mm. That's, that's the guy from Solo. Yeah. The doorman downstairs in the Irish Times, uh, just uh, as I uh, was walking Ben to the door there, uh, when I was coming back in, he said, was that Ben Johnson? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, I, I think maybe there are, for people of a certain age, uh, there are guys who are just notorious. Uh, you know, they're notorious figures. What did you think? Um, the, that idea that he that he touched on there, that 
if say if you get sent off in an All Ireland final or an FA Cup final, that's a, a sporting misstep that people can just say as well. That's part of the game. Ben Johnson said there that if you're a liar or a che- you, you if you're a liar or a cheater in athletics, it's the same thing in your personal relationships, which I just think is such a poignant idea. That that's, that that's what people think about you. Yeah, in your personal that, relationships. That, that it's it's hard for you to get people to trust you because they think that you're a liar or a cheat. And if you're a liar or a cheat in sport, then does that mean that you're a liar or a cheat in, in life? Which I just think is, is, that's such a horrible cross to bear for a sporting decision that he made, a terrible, ill-judged sporting decision made in very specific circumstances in his sport where he felt that he, he couldn't do anything else. Now, that's not an apology for what he did. I mean, obviously it was wrong. It's... It's a scourge in sport that we all decry completely. Well, a lot of people don't anymore. A lot of people just well, say... Sorry, us, he, us here. You know, yeah. like, obviously we do. But that you would be still up on the cross, as he said, 25 <laughs> years later or 28 years now. That's a pretty... That's that, that's a situation where you can say that a man served his sentence and, and then some. He seemed to... I, I still t- couldn't quite get to the bottom of whether he... Reg- I don't think he do. It doesn't sound like he regrets doing it as such. I mean, obviously, he regrets the impact being caught has had in his life. But it's, he seems to have almost a conflicted view on doping. That in that he's done some anti-doping work, but doesn't seem to view his own achievements as tarnished. He was very clear that eighty-eight was the greatest race in history and not the dirtiest race in history. There was not much to debate mm-hmm. on that. I don't think uh, f- from that side of things. He, yeah, anyway, he's very real, very cold-eyed in his analysis of the current state of top-level athletics. Mm. I think we can read into his comments there and various athletes, whatever you will. Carl Lewis, by the way, uh, he, he talked about Lewis there. Hasn't, hasn't quite let their rivalries simmer. Sometimes you feel that rivalries are maybe being hammed up a little bit for the sake mm. of the public. You get these this two is, different personalities, yeah. different types, different styles of athlete and all the rest. This is not one. No, no. They, they don't like each other. They, they straight up don't like each other, Murph. And uh, just on the, the point there, uh, sorry, on Carl Lewis's own past, this came out in 2003 that Lewis had actually failed a test at the US Olympic trials in 88 that his urine sample contained banned stimulants. The Americans managed to clear him on appeal under, ah, that great get-out clause, inadvertent usage. Mm. I think it's like a cough medicine or something along these lines. So uh, now they weren't massive, uh, massive volumes, apparently, but they were enough that at that time, under the rules and under the limits, he should have actually been banned from the Olympic team. But really, yeah, it doesn't sound like he's going to let the animosity towards Lewis die. I don't know if you just hate someone that much and he hangs over your life for so long. I don't know if you could ever really be totally Yeah, and I I think that the... I mean, you mentioned Ali and Fraser. I mean, I think the the winner in the court of public opinion was so blatantly Muhammad Ali, you know, ever since the 1970s, that you could maybe see why Fraser, you know, carried that with him. Now, you know, obviously, Carl Lewis is still lionised to a certain degree. But, I mean, I, you know, I think that people's oh, eyes yeah. are well and truly I went really open, and actually he never, and there's a whole separate story about Carl Lewis never really getting the endorsements that he felt he should get and his career not taking off after that in, in the way, off the track in the way that it yeah. did. So maybe Ben can take some, some solace out of that. I don't know. The book that I've referenced a few times there is Richard Moore's The Dirtiest Race in History, the, the title. It's really, really good stuff and like loads of great detail there, uh, both on, on Johnson and Lewis. 
and the events surrounding Seoul 88. And we will tweet a link, Murph, for that BBC report that we played a clip from, played a few clips from earlier on there. Yeah, uh, it's like 12 and a half minutes of just, I think, the summing up on the, uh, whatever it was, to maybe 36 or 48 hours after the, uh, after the 100 metres final. And it's just, it's actually an extraordinary bit of television. Uh, a, ju- a series of uh, very short, sort of on-the-hoof interviews <laughs> with various characters. The footage of Ben Johnson being raced through the airport in Seoul is just, it's unbelievable. Amazing. I mean, it, it, to to get some sort of idea of the scale of this story globally, that it, watching those 12 and a half minutes, for people who maybe aren't familiar or are too young to remember it actually happening, it's an extraordinary bit of time. All presented by your favourite ever presenter? Of course, Steve Ryder. Um, I do, uh, uh, presenting some Olympic breakfast show, which I don't like the sound of. I mean, you know, Des Lynham. You know, Des Lynham presenting the, the main Olympic uh, programme. I, I think that is what happened, yeah, reading up on it, Des Lynham. But Lynham was unflappable. I presume Ryder wasn't... Listen, neither of them are flappable in, no. any, in, any, in any way. I mean, I, I just, I, if you saw either of those guys in a flap, then you knew that some serious <laughs> shit was going down. Our up. reporter in the field has landed in Milan, so let's find out what's coming up in today's Irish Times Set and Captain's football podcast. That's. Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. You can walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What yeah. have you known? I'd like to stay alive. Oh, I'd like to go to the needle. I'd say it to you, Pace. I'd say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you shiny man? <laughs> Hi, Ken. Well, Owen, how are you, how are you getting on there? We're doing all right, yeah. We were talking to Ben Johnson earlier. So we're, we're good. Uh, how was uh, he? Good, good form. form. <laughs> ben was in good form, yeah. Good form. Happy to be in Dublin. Happy to happy That's to good. And how's the weather in Dublin, Owen? Weather in Dublin is... You left five hours yeah. ago, Ked. Left of it. <laughs> it's very nice here in Milan, I have to say. <laughs> no, we didn't ask. Um, we didn't ask. We asked you what's coming up in the Irish Times and Gavin's football podcast, I'm pretty sure. Uh, I can tell you a bit more about Milan uh, from the uh, 90 minutes or so I've spent uh, walking around in it. And uh, we can talk also to Emma Malone, our true reporter in the field today, actually reporting on goings-on in the field, this being a field in Dublin... Uh, National Training Centre. An area of Greenland. Uh, the Irish uh, football team. Hmm? An area of Greenland in Abbotstown. An area of Greenland where the Irish football team, the ever-diminishing Irish football team, is um, is preparing uh, for tomorrow's uh, international against Holland. All right, Ken, why not stay on there for a minute to hear, I know you're going to be excited about this, a brand new edition of... Owen's Balls. With Owen McDevitt. Featuring the poetry... Oh, Owen McDevitt. And what an yeah. absolute load of nonsense that is. Nonsense. <laughs> yeah, it's a lyrical gangster, Owen McDevitt here. Although I must say that I'm not actually uh, composing a poem today. What I, I will You're say... not dropping any rhymes I'm not today. dropping any rhymes, Murph, but it's an honour and a privilege to have my name attached to a slot which has now officially become a phenomenon. Thanks to... Something like a phenomenon, Murph. <laughs> a bit of wordplay there. No, Thanks no, to... Uh, don't call it a no. comeback. <clears throat> oh, Jesus. No! <laughs> Thanks to the flood of entries from you guys. I, I literally could not move in the office for Damien Duff poems this week. They That's were good. just arriving by email, by... Well, just by email, actually, but... <laughs> it took up, a, took up more of my time than I'd expected. But anyway, there you go. I'm not going to complain. Uh, middling quality, some good, of them. Good problem to have on. Uh, big shout-out to David Martin, who went to great lengths to explain the thought process and even the rhyming scheme of his poem. 
Good man, David. Pork Scully, Paddy Conway. Well, actually, Paddy just gave up after two verses. Nilo D, Mark Townsend, John McGillagoody, Jared Wallace. He also gave up quite quickly and ended with So Enough. He's like, I can't find anything else to rhyme with Duff, So Enough, or something like that was the end. So, so all of these people have written Damien Duff poems. Damien Duff poems, okay. as I asked for. Yeah, Jared Scannell. The list goes on, lads, but I had to narrow it down to two. And here they are, runner-up. Mark, Arm- Mark Armstrong. No title here, Mark. You please give a title to your poem. It sets a certain tone. Hmm. Okay, here he goes. The nimble touch line hugger duff danced fandango tango hucklebook leaving fullbacks duffer struck the centre half and his knuckle dust. Can't catch him to rough him up. He could slither into huffle puff. The master of the subtle stuff the shoulder dropping double bluff. Football head or rugger buff they all say, thank you, Mother Duff. Yours fleetingly, Anonymous Mark. Well, you're not Anonymous Mark. Your name is Mark Armstrong. Yes, Murph, that was the runner-up. That was the second <laughs> no, best no, poem. No, I, 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 it's, I thought it started... I wasn't expecting it, but I think there's, there was a touch of Finnegan's Wake to that, I oh, thought. Yeah. There was a real uh, linguistic oh, yeah. invention You liked there. it, Ken, did you? And Olivia Alleluvial. Mm. <laughs> I liked I'm it. I'm blown away by that. Yeah, Excellent. that was good. That was good. Well, there's only one better, and that's by Michael Beecher. Hi, gents. Please see below my submission for Owen's poem, Same Duff segment. In brackets, fun fact for you fencing fanatics, the poem was composed in our flat across the road from the St. Kilda Town Hall, which, as you know, was the venue for fencing events at the 1956 Melbourne Olympics. Yeah, bad start, but on we, on we go. Ode to Duff. Not a great title either, but let's stick with Michael here. It's a slow burn, Murph. This does get better okay. as it goes on. He made his name at Blackburn by playing off the cuff, but he was also once top scorer, not just step overs and fluff. Had a great World Cup, though preparations were rough. Helped vanquish Saudi Arabia, like Shakespeare's Macduff. Not one for nonsense or Joe Duffy's guff. Ranieri must have thought, he's a good bit of stuff. He played with legends at Chelsea, though not Frank LaBeouf. His favourite Pokemon? Jigglypuff. (laughs) (laughs) That's the only reason this poem is in there, that one line. (laughs) They signed Shevchenko and Balak. Things became tough. Mourinho said he'd play. Damien called his bluff. Had a tough time with the Geordies. Found their attitudes gruff. But Fulham and Melbourne could not his skills rebuff. <laughs> Injuries took their toll, so enough was enough. He retired an Irish legend like John Hayes from Bruff. Come on. That's good. Well That's on. good. Hang on a second. Michael Beecher. No why prize for that, that, Michael. Why is that the winner and the other, and the other one that we heard, number two? The first one was way better. Uh, whose poems? What's the title of this lot? Are you a lyrical gangster, Ken? Oh, I see. I don't think well, you I'm, are. I'm sorry, but I mean, you've just blown up. You've blown up the credibility of your slot on day one, Owen. I mean, you heard you heard something there that could have been written by you know the notorious B.I.G. And uh, you've gone yeah. for Another a poem which word, didn't even have the same number oh. of syllables in each line, but but had a lot of <laughs> oof rhymes. Ah, <laughs> uh, here, Frank LaBeouf, Jigglypuff. Ken, listen, you've got your thriving, um, you know, print journalism career going there. I'm the owner. Just, just leave, leave the big guy with this, all right? I've got Owen's poems here. <laughs> but Anonymous I, Mark, you're my, you, you'll always be my champion. Yeah, I think you are right, though. Well, I think you are right. We have to be more strict in the rhyming scheme because so many of the poems were so terrible. I've got to be honest. We need to, we need to <laughs> tighten this up. So it's, okay, it's, it's, it's four stanzas, right? Four lines per stanza. And the end of each and every line must rhyme with the name of the protagonist, right? I'll give my example, Murph. The right, the right foot was cruel. The left made you drool. From January to Yule, he was Anton O'Toole. Yeah. So four verses just like that, and then you get a chance to write a poem about humor. Uh, oh, this week we're, he just got mentioned there, John Hayes. Oh, John Hayes, you think the bull? Let's, well, let's go with John Hayes. You could go with the bull. I mean, you, 
It could be haze, Listen, full, but it has to rhyme fine. with whatever you start with. You know, so many poets down through the years have been so thankful for very strict rules governing what they can and can't write. So I think all of our listeners will thank you for <laughs> prescribing such a stringent I think it's set true. of guidelines for them to follow. Thanks for all the entries. Thanks, Ken. We'll chat to you in the football pod. Thanks, I'll talk to you soon. Hope you enjoyed that sip of water you took. As we left <laughs> Let's very quickly get over to Astana where Dublin's Kelly Harrington has continued her march through the World's Championships. Worlds, through the Worlds, I'll go with. She breezed through her semi-final today with Zor Antia and Eddie Bulger in her corner. Eddie, Michael Carruth on TV described this as, uh, well, well done, first of all. Eddie, Michael Carruth described it as a masterclass. Yeah, Kelly always had potential and, and a lot of talent. And uh, I guess it was just putting a bit of a structure around her in the last couple of weeks but uh, she's a product of you know our club structure in, in Ireland you know we've we've had her since January and done a little bit with her but it's the clubs you know we've very good structure in Ireland and uh, they're they're all working off the same hey and she does a high performance now so it's a credit to the clubs and a credit to Kelly's club that uh, she, she had those basics and those uh uh, technical skills. She she's in a world semi final. I mean, a totally different stratosphere to any fight she's been in before. She strolls out there looking pretty relaxed. I don't know if she was if that if that's uh, you know just um, her trying to convince herself she's relaxed and then fights this great fight. Well, there there is always that underlying nerves, but she she that, that, that's her style. That's her relationship. She, she's universal. She can box southpaw. She can box orthodox. She's got a good upper body movement. And she has all the basic skills, so it's just about getting her to perform. And uh, she hasn't put a foot wrong, I'll be honest now, in, in the three or four fights she's had. Now, she won't be fighting the Olympics because her weight division isn't isn't in the Games, which is, I guess, I mean, it's not, nothing she can worry about. It's all, all she can do is go over there and try and win a world final. Uh, they were saying in commentary that only she's only the fifth fighter, male or female, Irish fighter, to make it to a, a world final, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, it's, it's about, <laughs> it, it is really impressive. And uh, look at a world gold medal is, you know, it's up with an Olympic gold medal. And uh, that's all we got to worry about at the minute. We got to and, and, and keep her focused and make sure that, uh, make sure she stays within within the, within the process and doesn't think about anything else. And I'm sure she will, you know. I'm not even sure who she's boxing next. She's not even sure who she's boxing next. We just did with that tonight. She's a switch hitter, Eddie, as well, which looks like it makes life pretty awkward for her opponents. Uh, what's a fighter like that like to coach? She, she, she's, uh, she, she looks, she, she soaks up instruction or soaks up training like a sponge. She, she's eager to learn. Uh, lovely girls, to be honest. And, uh, and, and the talent was spotted a long, long time ago. And I'm really glad that it's, uh, she's filling her potential. Yeah, makes sense to us, Eddie. Listen, best of luck with that and well done so far. Thanks, thanks very much. Incredible, really, that she's only been in the high performance, in with the high performance people for such a short amount of time. And she's she beat the number one in the quarterfinals. She wins the semifinals so comfortably. And she's in a final. Eddie wasn't sure who the final was against as he spoke to us because he was heading off to coach Katie Taylor. Uh, Wen Lu Yang of China. Okay. Uh, so that's uh, coming up this weekend. And yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's such a brilliant achievement. And she's really good I mean I, I don't think you know if anyone who hasn't seen this it's on the RT player now on the RT website you should go and check yeah, it out it's really entertaining yeah great style yeah it's, a, it's a brilliant fight Katie hasn't fought her semi-final as we record but I'm, I'm confident based on her angry performances so far this tournament that she's she's done the business as mm. the later arrivals of the podcast listen to this otherwise I might look stupid but you know these are the risks you take it's your letters it's your letters 
I've got a call here that says, you're the most boring, predictable, condescending interviewer around. Go back to lecturing. You have the charisma of a sick bag. Oh, God. That's just it. I just wow. mentioned, not you, no me. Okay. Ain't nobody with my click. We don't normally click. broadcast click. all the, the stuff click. that comes from scum click. around the country. Ain't nobody fresher than my mug, mug. Click, 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 click. This week's scumbag on <laughs> John Pender. Hi lads. Last August I moved to Sweden to start a new life with my Swedish lady friend and our daughter. I say a new life, but really I hated my last job and just wanted an excuse to leave. We moved to Havle, an hour north of Stockholm, a fine town about the size of Galway. So the question you, you may ask yourself is, is Sweden really this perfect utopian paradise that Pat Kenny and pretty much all <laughs> social policy books ever written believe it to be? The answer is of course. Yes. A resounding no. Oh. Sure, I have free healthcare and practically free after school for my daughter, reduced healthcare for myself without the cumbersome burden of paying taxes yet. Taxes yet. <laughs> Excellent driving, free language lessons. I abandoned the strategy of just shouting louder in English. Better weather or water infrastructure any nation would be proud of. Affordable skiing in the winter and extremely high standards of housing. But on the downside, Swedes don't understand sarcasm. They actually find it rude for some reason. Their language makes no distinction between a turtle and a tortoise. Fermented fish is a delicacy here. Denim shorts are acceptable for men to wear without any slagging. And perhaps, most importantly of all, a pint costs eight euro. What fresh hell is this on? Uh, I'm eternally grateful, though, for your podcast and wait with bated breath for each new arrival every Monday and Thursday. And would you throw in the odd surprise like the gem that was the Keegan interview? It makes living in this incredibly civilised land of shared wealth and mutual respect that little bit easier to cope with. In a few weeks, Ireland takes on the evil forces of Zlatan, Sweden and France. And I was wondering if you had any advice on what kind of Ireland jersey to wear while watching the game in the local pub, restaurant, cafe, hybrid drinking my... Eight euro beer. I could go with your bog standard green jersey, but how about a GA soccer combo? Face paint may be seen as extreme here and may get me detained under the Mental Health Care Act. Please advise accordingly and keep up the great work. Best wishes, John Pender in Havle, Sweden. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think, Owen? Well, regarding like the jerseys, jerseys, I've got an answer for him. If well, you just hold your horses, no, don't give it. There's a sales pitch on the way here, Murph. Okay, go for it. We've got our brand new batch of retro Ireland football. T-shirts. You hear that, John? Jerseys. You hear on that? On the market, going online on secondcaptains.com next week. Well, and they're, they're barn burners, John. And we've just read out your email. And I have to say, it was a pretty well-written email. Yeah. There you go. We've, co- we've complimented you as well. So all you need to do now is get on secondcaptains.com. And buy one of those shirts. Buy yourself a T-shirt. And all of your questions will have been answered. Secondcaptains at irishtimes.com is the email address there. That uh, is John, is there a scumbag? John name? is yeah. indeed a scumbag. John and what a scumbag. scumbag. Yeah, what a scumbag. Uh, so that's also the one for the John Hayes poems. Get them into secondcaptains at irishtimes.com. I'm going to have to ask Ken out. He just, he's, he's too harsh on my poetry slide. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a power play on. So just hold fast. The reminder, daily shows during Euro 2016. We're going to be producing shows every day during the week, which we can't wait for. And uh, Ken is going to be in France, obviously, for the entirety. Our coverage of the tournament begins properly this Monday in Cork City with our live sports night with our sponsors, Rabo Direct. We're broadcasting the night before the Ireland game against Belarus there, the first game. It's at Turner's Cross. It's the first game in Cork. Uh, first full international in over 30 years. The show is going to be on the Monday, so it's the night before the game at Crane Lane Theatre from 7 o'clock. So that's this Monday coming at 7 o'clock. And if you want tickets, the entries are already flying in. We mentioned online yesterday. Go to irishtimes.com forward slash secondcaptains. Go to secondcaptains.com or Twitter at secondcaptains. That's pretty much it. Action packed show. Thanks, Murph. Thank you, Owen. Ben Bloody Johnson. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those 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 boys.
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.